Good morning. How are we? Good, good. Well, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to uh, Genesis chapter 2. We'll be back in Genesis chapter 2 today. Um, Some of the things I want to do before we get started is just kind of recap where we've been so far. So what we're doing here is we are um, on the third of four weeks of our sermon series by design, which is just us um, going through God's good and glorious design for both men and women. Uh, So we're looking at uh, biblical masculinity, what it means uh, and what God has designed men to be. And we're looking at biblical uh, womanhood, what God has called women to do and to be. So today we'll be talking about women. Uh, We're going to have a man preaching on womanhood. Uh, What could go wrong? (laughs) Um, So we'll just open up the Bible and kind of look through it. But the the first week we uh, talked specifically about how men and women are equal. So instead of talking about the differences, we spent the entire first week just talking about how men and women are equal. And we landed on this this Latin phrase, uh, the imago Dei, or how both man and woman were created in the image of God. And so men and women are both um, created in the image of God and completely and absolutely equal in dignity and in value. Um, So men and women are equal in dignity and value, but they are also created distinctly different and fulfill different roles both at home and in the church. But that that doesn't take away from their equal value or worth or dignity. Uh, And then so the second week we talk specifically about uh, uh, biblical masculinity and what it means to be a man, what God has designed men to to be, and we landed on this word called headship. And I wanted to, re- to redeem this word headship um, as we ventured into manhood. And so we defined headship as this. It's the unique leadership of the man in order to work for, uh, of establishing order for human flourishing. Male headship is the unique leadership of the man in the work of establishing order for human flourishing. So we talked about how um, the man, that headship, that word head, how the man is the head of the house, the head of the church, uh, that word head uh, isn't meant to be offensive. It just simply means where the brain is. Um, Okay, so don't be offended. When, When I say where the brain is, what I mean is the idea of the human brain is the human brain is there to receive signals and send out signals to establish flourishing, vitality for the body, growth. It tells you when you're in danger. It tells you when pain is sensed, what to move away from, what to move towards for sustenance, growth, vitality. And the brain does those things. And so we talk about men being the head of something, head of their family, head of their house, head of the church. All we're saying is it's the man's primary responsibility to establish order for human flourishing, whether that's their wife, whether that's their uh, children, whether that's their community, whether that's their workplace, whether that's their church, men have the primary responsibility of establishing order for human flourishing. Now, with all of that said, I will never say, um, 
about men. I'll never say about men how much men are needed in society, where, where you, you, can, you can look at all sorts of socioeconomical studies, uh, whether that's secular or uh, Christian-based, governmental studies, where men are lacking, where men refuse to walk in all that God has called them to as men, where, where um, homes are filled with singles, single moms, and men are just lacking society around starts to crumble. And it doesn't take long to look. You can look at any urban inner city where men have punted on the responsibilities. You see society begins to crumble. Now, with that being said, again, I'll never say that without saying this, where grace, where the ideal is lacking, grace abounds. Where the ideal is lacking, grace abounds. So when, it, when, 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 uh, God-fearing, God-loving mamas cry out to God. God hears those prayers. The Bible is just filled with stories of moms clinging at the feet of their Lord, and God hears those, and he answers those prayers. Now, it may, uh, may take some time before God responds, but he responds. Do not lose heart. If you're here today, and, and maybe you... Um, Maybe you're single and you're a single mom and, and, and you're here and you hear all this, so what men need to be and men, are, men have the primary responsibility. You don't have anyone in your life that fulfills that role uh, where the ideal is lacking, grace abounds. Don't lose heart. Call out to Jesus. Wait, maybe you're here and you, and you heard the sermon on, on manhood and, and um, you hear what men are supposed to be and you, you looked over to your man, you thought, man, I just, I married a moron. That is not at all what my man is like. Where the ideal is lacking, grace abounds. Call out to Jesus. He will respond. Do not lose heart. God's going to enter that space. He's going to be merciful and gracious. God has not designed men to be bored. We talked about manhood. God has not designed, designed men to be bored. There's nothing more dangerous in this world than a lazy man. Where, where men are lazy, where men are bored, anywhere in sight, death and destruction are around him. So that's how we define the role of man. We, now, we, we, how, how important manhood is, with the primary responsibility to be the head, to establish order for human flourishing. Now we're going to talk a little bit about womanhood. And last week, one of the things I said um, was I didn't want any women going home and playing the role of the Holy Spirit, right? That I was going to talk to the men. You didn't have to talk to your man. I was going to talk to him for you. Um, I didn't want anyone going home and, and on the car ride home saying, hey, Hubs, did you hear him? Did you hear what he said there, babe? Did you hear? You don't do any of that. You need to start working on that. So I don't want anyone playing the role of the Holy Spirit last week. And I warned you, if you did that, it was not going to go well for you. I said, it wasn't going to go well for you. And um, if, you, if you disregard my warning, you went ahead and did it anyway. I just want to go ahead and say, I, I'll, I'll be here after church. If you need to come up and apologize to me uh, for not listening, uh, I'll, I'll be around, uh, probably in a donut or something, uh, but I'll be here. But the same thing goes tonight, or uh, this morning rather, that if anyone is here and you hear what it means to be uh, what a woman biblically should walk in. You don't go home, men, and tell your wife, you need to listen to Zach. You need to start doing the things that he's talking about. You don't do that. 
You pray, you lead by example, you enter into what God has called you into and you pray that God will be faithful, that God will honor it, and that God the Holy, and the Holy Spirit will work through your example. And someday we'll talk about how you can lovingly engage um, with your words. But right now I want you men just to lead by example and set the example. Do not go home and play the role of the Holy Spirit. So, we're going to do the same thing. We're going to talk about women. So uh, we're going to look together in Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 18. Um, if you don't have your Bible here, it's important that you know that we always put the words on the screen. I don't want anyone here thinking that we're just making stuff up. Uh, so we put the words on the screen so you can follow along and see that ultimately this is what has authority in this church, the Word of God, the Word from God has authority, and we submit to it, not to culture, not to what our government says about manhood and womanhood, not to what culture says about manhood and womanhood, but we submit to what the word of God says about manhood and womanhood. So Genesis chapter two, we'll pick it up in verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought to them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever See what you call him. Whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to the, every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a, caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then... The man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. So one of the first things uh, that jumps out at me here, we're, this, is, this is not part of the sermon or part of womanhood. I just want to I think there's some really cool observations when it comes to the story, the narrative of God creating woman. Uh, one of the first things I love, if, if we could just take this into, into a, a narrative and kind of paint a picture for you. Um, God creates this world, right? And uh, it's kind of barren and, and kind of just a barren landscape. And in this world, in the east, he creates this garden. And it's beautiful. It's got rivers that run through it and gold and onyx and all these precious gems and uh, animals and just beautiful um, bushes and trees. And, and God places man in the garden and he gives him a task. And he says, I want you to work and keep this garden. You were designed to work. Even before sin into the world, men, you were designed to work. And God said, I want you to work and keep it. I want you to make the entire earth look like this garden. I want you to go out and make everything look like this. And, and, and as part of that, what Adam got to do is he had the privilege to name all the animals. And so God brought, you know, the animals came to Adam and he, he's naming these animals and he's, he's saying that's a bird and, and lion, seal, otter, unicorn. Maybe he didn't say unicorn. I don't know. We, maybe we'll get to heaven and, and we'll see that unicorns always were a real thing and they were magical. But um, he's lion and bird and, 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 and he's naming all these animals. And, and, and he gets done, he names all the animals and God looks and says, there's not a helper fit for him. He's gone through every single animal. He's named all the animals, but there's not a helper fit for him. 
So he puts him to sleep and takes out a rib, and out of that rib he creates woman, and he wakes him up. And after naming all the animals, Adam wakes up and he sings the first love song or reads the first love poem. This, this, this is a poem, this, this um, Adam, where, where he says, um, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. That word woman in the Hebrew just, just means mine. So Adam's, Adam's naming all the animals, lion, bird, and then he sees woman, he says, mine. That one's mine. He knew from the very beginning when he first saw Eve that she was different than the lion, different than the birds, different than all the other creatures, and he sees her and says, mine. This one is mine. I want her. I want to be her. I want to be hers. I want her to be mine. She's mine. And so there's this, there's this beautiful story here. Um, and, and men, you could, you could do well to take this from Adam and just know that your wife is yours. And that's not a possession thing, but that no one else is yours. You don't get to look at other women that your wife alone is yours. You know who the one for you is? The one you're married to. That's yours. No one else is yours. The one you're married to is yours. You don't get to look anywhere else because God only made one Eve. He didn't make multiple Eves. He only made one. He only gave into marriage to Adam one. This sounds like a no-brainer, but in this day and age where it's a polygamous world and, and women are viewed as cattle, the more women you have, the, the better off you are and the, the better man you are. But God says, no, 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 all you need is Eve. He creates one woman. He pulls the woman from the man's side with connotations that they're side by side, this closeness, this intimacy, not, not from the back, not from the spine, not from behind, not from the front, not from the feet or the head, but from the side. There's this intimacy. There's this closeness with man. Oftentimes in our, in our marriage, uh, when we go to bed, we go to bed at the same time. I think that's important that men and women go to bed at the same time. Uh, so like we go to bed at the same time, and I'll often just kind of raise my arm up and, and tell, tell Margie just to come home and cuddle up on my side where she belongs, where she was figuratively taken from, just to, to come home, babe, just, just come home, because that's, there's this intimacy of Eve being taken from Adam's side. There's this idea that men and women should be side by side. Men shouldn't be in front of, behind, on top of, or below, but they should be side by side. The last thing I would just have us consider is this idea um, that man should leave his family and hold fast to his wife. Uh, Some of us have to get this, that um, when the wife comes into the man's family, God says, it's time to leave mama, bro. Like, you've got to leave your mom. You've got to leave your family. This is your family. Your loyalties belong to your wife, not your mom, not your dad, but your loyalties belong to her. Your mother and father, you will leave and you will hold fast to your wife. Some of us gotta, some of us gotta learn that. Some of us gotta, it's not, doesn't mean we don't love our, our mom and dad. Doesn't mean we don't spend time with them or spend the holidays with them or spend, uh, you know, any other time with them but our loyalties are to our wife. Now, with that said, what we saw with man um, is that he was placed in the garden and commanded to work it and keep it. And that's where we got our idea of headship. We talked about working and keeping. Okay, so when it comes to women, we're also going to talk about two phrases. We looked at work it and keep it for men. And we're going to do something similar for women.
women. It's, it's used twice here in the text. We're going to use the phrase, a helper fit for him. A helper fit for him. We're going to break it up to those two ideas, a helper and fit for him. Both of those phrases are going to matter immensely. So let's look at the word helper first. That helper is a, is a difficult word in Hebrew. Uh, it's a difficult word because of this. Um, you only kind of know what that word helper means by its context. Uh, so that, that helper, you, you really understand that word based on the words that are around it. And, and the best English equivalency that I heard a pastor use once is the word fast. So I can use the, fa- I can use the word fast in, in many different ways. So I can say things like, um, fast means speed, right? So you're moving fast. It could mean abstaining from food. It can mean that you're, no, you're not eating right now. You're fasting. It can uh, mean stubbornness, this idea that he holds fast to his position. It could mean a kind of shady dealer or fast business, fast dealings. The only way to know what one is talking about when it comes to that word fast is to put it in a sentence. So if I say something like, yesterday morning I was at my son's football game or soccer game and there was a kid there who was super fast, right? No one would think, man, that kid wasn't eating during, for the whole game or before the game. No one would think that. They know exactly what I'm talking about. If I said there's a, there's a uh, my wife is um, on a, on a five-day fast, no one would think that she's sprinting and running for five days straight. You'd think, oh, she's not eating, right? She's not eating. If I say something like, I hold fast to biblical truth, you wouldn't think that I, I'm in some sort of shady, shady dealing or, or shady business deal with biblical truth. You'd know that I'm saying that I am stubborn in my position of biblical truth. So because of the other words around the word fast, you know exactly what it means. The Hebrew word for helper is ezer, and it's very similar. Ezer or Ezer, it's used throughout the whole Old Testament and the context always matter. Now here's the big debate around this word helper or help. The debate is this. Do women as helpers have a lower subordinate role to the, to the man in human flourishing? Now we've already covered that, right? The woman are e- women are equal to men in both worth, dignity, importance. So we know that's not the issue. We're talking about whether women have to be subordinate to any and all men. And we've covered that. No, they do not. The question in the debate around the word help is whether women hold a subordinate role to the man's task in human flourishing. There's a couple things to consider when we use this word helper to define a woman's role and to understand it correctly. First, the word ezer in, in regards to helper in Hebrew is most often used for how God engages with man. The word Ezra is most often used in regard to God helping man. Let me give you a couple of these texts. Exodus 18, 4. And the name of the other was Eliezer, God. Here's the meaning of that name. This is what he's saying. For he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. God is my helper. Deuteronomy 33, 7 says, And this he said of Judah, hear, O Lord, the voice of Judah and bring him to his people with your hands contend for him and be a help against his adversaries. So God is our helper. One more. Psalm 33, 20, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. So here's what we need to say. God being 
called our helper throughout all of Scripture brings honor and glory to the position of helper. So since God has been called the helper, a helper cannot be inherently inferior to whoever or whomever he's helping. So if woman have, has been made a helper fit for him, a woman cannot mean, or woman as helper cannot mean that the woman is inferior in any way. Can't mean it. So in this context, with that said, what does it mean to be a helper? God has brought honor and glory to the word helper, so it doesn't necessarily or mean that a woman is inferior to a man in any way. In fact, we've already covered women are equal in both dignity, worth, value, and importance. So what does it mean here? So helper denotes someone helping the one with the primary responsibility. To be a helper is to help someone who holds the primary responsibility. Me and Wayne, we, we both work together. We work in the same office. If Wayne came into my office and he said, hey, Zach, can you help me with something? The responsibility doesn't transfer over to me, right? I'm, I'm helping him with his job. I'm helping him with his work. And so the responsibility is remember, I, I'm helping Wayne with his primary responsibility, but also, think about this. If Wayne comes to my office and says, Zach, would you help me with something? I need some help. Would you be my helper? Who's in the position of strength here? The one needing help or the one who's providing help? The one who's providing help is doing something that the other one can't do, can't do on his own. So this idea that, that somehow our culture has taken that women are inferior to men because the Bible says that they're a helper is ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous because if anything, it was found that man can't do this on his own and he's going to need a helper. If anything, the position of strength is in the woman and the weakness is in the man. I'm not saying that's there. I'm just saying if anything at all. If you could draw any conclusion from this text, it's that men need help and they absolutely do. Men need help. The primary responsibility does not change hands. So although to be a helper is not inherently inferior, it is to come alongside the one with the, with the primary responsibility and to help them. To say that someone who is helping someone else is inferior is to, is to say that God is inferior for the help that he gives us, his children. And that's absurd. So Eve is a helper fit for him. Not a helper like him, but a helper fit for him. What does that mean, fit for him? We're going to look at the second part here. The phrase fit for him leads us to this idea that we hold at the grove, which is called complementarianism. We, we believe in complementarianism, which means that both man and women were created unique by God, both in the image of God, equal in dignity, value, and worth, but they have meant to complement one another, not to compete with one another. They were meant to complement one another, not to compete against each other. The weaknesses of one are strengthened by the strengths of the other. The strengths of the one is made even stronger by the strengths of the other. There is this complementarian relationship where men are being men and women are being women. If that truly happens, the type of human flourishing the, 
you, you get is, is the kind the Bible commends, that if we're willing to walk into it, our joy might increase, God's glory might be seen all the more brightly throughout this earth, and all our hearts would be so satisfied in him. But when we go against this system, bad things start to happen. Where men and women begin to compete with one another instead of compliment one another, society begins to crumble. So what does this look like? I think it's important for us to talk about what does it actually look like? Because this idea of complementarianism is nothing if we don't bring it down on the ground. This idea that men and women compliment one another, that a, that a woman is a helper fit for him, that means absolutely nothing if we don't get down into the practical messiness of it, right? So um, we're going to be in Titus chapter 2 to kind of look at see, and see what this looks like. But before we get there, I want to talk briefly about a popular chapter in the Bible in regards to men and women in Ephesians 5. I don't have, the, I don't have slides up there. You can turn there if you want. Um, this was kind of a, a late addition to the sermon, if anything. Um, but uh, Ephesians chapter 5, uh, I'm, just, I'm just mentioning this offhand. We're going to go to Titus 2, like I said. But there's this great pest passage in Ephesians chapter 5 uh, about husbands and wives. Everyone, uh, when they talk about husbands and wives, they want to start in Ephesians chapter 20, I'm sorry, chapter 5, verse 20, that says something like, wives, submit to your husbands. But if you would back up to verse 15, you would read, that there's actually way before it ever says, wives, submit to your husbands, there's this idea of mutual submission. Way before wives submit to your husbands. So, he, so Paul gives this guideline for Christian behavior way before you ever get to wives, submit to your husbands. Um, what he means by mutual submissions is what we've already covered. That when men are exercising headship in a way that is marked by sacrificial love, and the responsibility for the spiritual well-being of their wives and household and church, when it's marked by those things, we show deference, we include, we want to know, we desire interaction, we value the intellect of our wives, we value the gifts of our wives, we encourage and speak life into our wives, and we walk in mutual submission. It's not this heavy-handed, we don't come home and say, this is what you're doing tonight, this is what we're doing. That's not how this works. That's not headship, that's bullying. And you're not going to get away with bullying one of God's daughters for long before he does something about it. So you don't come home and say, this is what you're doing, this is what we're doing, this is what I'm doing. In fact, if we want to get super practical, I think one of the, one of the best ways to see how well you're leading men, how well you're being the head, is who says the word let's more in your marriage? Who says let's more? Let's do this. Let, let's open up our Bibles. Let's go get breakfast as a family. Let's sit at the dinner table and pray together. Let's. Who says let's more? Is your wife always the one saying let's open our Bibles? Let's pray. Let's spend time with the kids. Let's turn the TV off. Let's spend time together. Let's snuggle. Who says let's more? That's, that, was, that's, that was last week. I'm sorry. Uh, women. Mutual submission. So it says there's this idea of mutual submission. Then after mutual submission, it says wives submit to your husband. But right after that, it puts a ton of weight on men. It says husbands love your wives like Christ loved the church, that he gave himself up for her. Look, brothers, it doesn't get any harder than that. It doesn't get any harder than that. All right, so I wanted to briefly talk about that popular chapter um, before we hop into Titus chapter 2. So Titus chapter 2, starting in verse 2, uh, here's what it says. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, and in love and steadfastness. 
You want a definition of a mature, godly man? There it is. And when it says older men there, it's not talking about only old men should act like this. You don't, have to, you don't have to act like this until you're older. That's not what it's saying. This is just the idea of mature men should be men who are sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in stubbornness. You want a picture of godly, mature masculinity? There it is. If you've been playing this Christian game for five, six, seven, 10, 20, 30 years, you should be starting to look something like this. If not, it might be time to get serious about your sanctification. Then it goes on. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home. I don't think that idea of working at home means that women can't work outside the home. We'll talk about that in a minute. Kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. So on this list, the only one that overlaps is self-control. I think the idea um, about self-control is God just knows that both men and women just need to chill a little bit. That sometimes we're prone to fly off the handle, but we just need to calm down, breathe, stop yelling, stop flying off the handle, be self-controlled. Then it says, likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that you cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. So what does this mean for complementarianism? If you have men who are being trained like this and you have older men who are training younger men like this, we're going to be self-controlled. We're not going to fly off the handle. Think of how much men, how much damage men do who lack self-control. Think of how much damage they do with their words and their actions, with their size and their intimidation. What if they were self-controlled? What if they didn't fly off the handle? What if they weren't governed by their rage? What if they had been discipled in the art of not losing control? What if they modeled good works? What if they spent their lives serving the king of glory and the kingdom of God? What if they walked in integrity and in dignity? What if they were sound in speech and used their mouth to build up rather than tear down? where you have a man functioning and growing like this. He's not going to be perfect, but he's going to be growing towards this. He's going to be falling and stumbling, but moving towards this. Where he stumbles and falls, he's quick to own it, but as he's moving in this way, man, what could that, what could that do to our society? And then it gets into a list about women. Older women are to be training younger women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be self-controlled, to be pure, to work at home. Now, about working at home, you can't read the rest of the Bible and think that women can't work outside the home. I know historically there's been some arguments and this text has been used to tell women they should stay at home. I think it's great if a woman wants to stay at home and work from home and a man can provide enough to do so. But it's not a necessity to be a mature woman, woman of God. You read Proverbs 31, you know for a fact that women are working outside their home and that's a, a good wife is able to work outside her home and can. She doesn't have to, but she can. What it means here is that she is in tune to the spiritual climate of her home. She's very plugged into the discipleship that's occurring at home and, 
and she would be encouraging and helping her husband set the spiritual climate and the temperature of the home, saying, encouraging the kids, hey guys, get in here. Daddy's going Daddy's to open up our, our devotion. He's going to open up the word of God and, and read to us. Kids, get in here. She's, she's helping get that together. She's helping cuddling in bed. I'm about to have three kids, and I, I'm a big proponent that dads should be putting their kids to bed. Dad should be involved in all nighttime activities, bathing, playing on the floor. Dad, when you get home from work, you get home from, from the day, you, you're starting second shift. You don't get to rest on the couch. You don't get to watch hours upon hours of sports center reruns. But you get down, you get to work, and you play with those kids, and you have fun with the kids, and you love the kids, and then you put the kids in bath, and you help serve the kids dinner and make dinner for them. You help put the kids to bed. I'm about to have three kids, but I'm going to need help putting the kids to bed. Because if I'm putting all three kids to bed by myself, I'm, I'm going to be falling asleep in one of those beds. I'm, I'm tired at night. So I mean, hell, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, hey, babe, uh, I'll get two, you get one. Which, which one do you want? Okay, I'll get these two. The next night, hey, last night I got these two. Why don't I get these two? And you take this other one. And then the next night, how about I didn't have, have this one last night. I'll take this one and this one. And then you take this one. And we're gonna, she's going to help me set the spiritual climate in my home and encourage me. The last thing it says here to women is to be kind and submissive to their husbands. The amount of power that God has given women, wives in particular, on the souls and hearts of their husbands is, is, is staggering. It's crazy. Look, I, I learned a long time ago, I've been, I've been pastoring for 10, 10 years, I learned a long time ago to have thick skin. Um, I love the word of God. I'm going to preach the word of God. If that offends someone, I don't really care too much. Um, as long as I'm not being offensive for offense sake, is if, if it's just the word of God, I don't care. If you, if you come up to me after the sermon, you're like, I hate this sermon. That was the stupidest sermon. Uh, that's not at all how women should be. It's not at all how men should be. And you, you knock over the coffee machine and you break all these mugs and you're just angry. Uh, I'm probably, we might have to call the cops because the coffee machine is super expensive. We might need to get reimbursed for that, that mess. But um, I, I'm not going to have trouble sleeping at night. I know what the Word of God says, and that's what we're talking about today. I'm not going to have trouble sleeping tonight. But man, my wife looks at me in a way that just looks disapproving. I am up all night. Like, I don't, what did I do? How, what, man, why does she think this? Why doesn't she love me? My wife can just say one thing. I'm like, oh gosh, really? Oh man. So, how can it be that you could corner me, cuss me out, break all our stuff, and I'm just like, all right praying for you, buddy. And I just go to bed. But if Margie just hints at displeasure, man, I'm lying in bed questioning everything about life, questioning all my life decisions. Some of you might be thinking, Zach, you just need to develop some thicker skin towards your wife. I don't think so. I don't think anywhere you should sacrifice emotional, spiritual intimacy for protection, especially in marriage. But I don't think anywhere you should never sacrifice intimacy for protection, especially in the covenant of marriage. Look, women, you have unbelievable power over your man. You can build him up with life and, and, and speak life into him, or you can absolutely crush his soul with your words. The Bible's clear on this. Uh, Proverbs chapter 21, 19 is going to say, it's better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. 
So God's saying, bro, like your woman's just fighting with you and picking fights all the time and just, just coming at you all the time. Bro, why don't you just do this? Why don't you um, leave, no, leave everything at home. No, don't even put your shoes on. Just walk out to the desert and die. That is better. That's just gonna be better for you just to walk out there and die than to stay at home with your girl. But he doesn't stop there. Proverbs 27, 15, I'm just reading the Bible. A continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome women are the same. So you got a, you got a girl who just wanna, wants to pick fights all the time, man, you might as well be getting waterboarded because that is as bad. Now, okay, it's not waterboarding. That was, might have been too crass or too soon, but it's, it's not good. But the flip side of that is that you have the power to speak so much life and to encourage and strengthen your husband with your words and your actions. And look, this last idea that we're talking about here is where we have strong husbands and submissive, kind wives, although that is painted as archaic and old and broken. How dare we think about women and men this way? I'm telling you, where the Bible says that this is lived out accurately, the world will have nothing to say that the word can't be reviled. No one could say anything about us. They could attack the idea. They could say it's stupid and old and old-fashioned. How dare you? Feminists will say, no, this is wrong. But then they'd go eat dinner with you. They'd come to your house, and they would see how much you love your kids, men, how your wife is taken care of and strengthened. She's growing in her giftings, and she's using her giftings for the kingdom of God. They'd see that, and they wouldn't be able to make a charge against you. They might hate the idea, but they wouldn't be able to make a charge against you. I mean, they'd probably just go, gosh, that's, what, that's, what actually, that's actually what I want. I want to quit this feminism thing, feminism thing. Why don't you just give me Jesus? Now that's complementarianism in the home, but what if you're single? What if you're single? What if you don't have a wife? What if you don't have kids? What if you don't have a wife or, I'm sorry, what if you don't have a husband? You don't have kids. What if you don't have a husband or kids? Well, I think single and married women alike should be plugged into and serving in the church. In Acts 8, 4, it says women are almost, uh, or in Acts 8, 4, it says uh, women are almost certainly included in the list of disciples. They went everywhere preaching the gospel. We see older women teaching younger women. In Titus, uh, in Titus 2, it talks about that. Priscilla uh, helped her husband, Aquila, teach Apollos. That's Acts uh, 18. Philip had four, do- four virgin daughters. They were prophesying and, and praying at the church in Corinth. So hear me. Women are not only needed and necessary, but they are indispensable and it's essential in the life of the church. Now, before we go too deeply into this, I want to chat quickly to single women. If I'm saying here this morning that the purpose of the woman is to be a helpmate or a helper fit for him and you're not married. How does that work? What does that mean? How are you a helpmate if you're single? Well, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean you sit around and wait for a husband. It doesn't mean you sit around and just pat your head, bless your heart, and wait for a husband. In the Old Testament, the blessing was children. But in the New Testament, the blessing is disciples. So don't sit around waiting for a man. Don't twiddle your thumbs, waiting for some man. Don't do that. The kingdom of God is at hand. You have a part to play. And there's young, listen, if you're 20, 30 something years old and, and you're single or even older than that, I don't care. High school, junior high girls will think you're the f- coolest person on this planet because you're 20, 30 something years old. 
enter in. Disciple these, these girls. These girls need something. Look, girls are used by men so much for sex, for love, for attraction. And these girls need you to warn them, to teach them, to show them Jesus is better than a man's love. They need you. Enter in the kingdom of God is at hand. We need you. The church needs you. These girls need you. So if you're single, it doesn't mean waiting around for a husband. It means understanding the kingdom of God is here and having your life wrung out, taking the hill, fighting for disciples. We know that we don't have many days, so we give ourselves over to training younger women, teaching and exercising our gifts in any and every way possibly we can that is made available to us. The only caveat we see in the Bible is you don't exercise your gifts in a way that would emasculate or usurp a man's authority. So run, teach, train, have yourself poured out for the glory of God and the good of the church. You're indispensable. We have to have you. We need you. Quit waiting around for some moron to ask you out and get in the game. We need you. And look, when I talk about women exercising the gifts, here's what I don't mean. I don't mean women should just be, be doing children's church, and that's, what that, that, that's the cap. That's what they should be doing. First of all, children's church is super hard, so that shouldn't ever be looked at as like some little thing that people do. But man, my heart for the, for the Grove Church is that we'd have a man overseeing our children's ministry. It's not because I don't think women should do it. I think women do a fantastic job. My wife's doing it right now. She's doing a great job. But here's the reason why. It's simple. Man, little children need to see men who love Jesus and are willing to spend their time, energy, and efforts getting down their knee and talking to them eye to eye and telling them about the good news and the love of Jesus Christ. We need men there. Women need to be there too. Women need to be in, in, in most areas of ministry. In fact, the only place that women uh, aren't allowed to serve here at the Grove is as elders. That's just because the Bible says that elders are reserved for men, that, that men are to be the head of the church like Christ is the head of the church, head of the house like Christ is the head of the church. And so it's the only office reserved for men. Anything else you want to do, enter in. Enter in. Work hard. Have your lives wrung out. One last note about single women. Um, I've heard this before, and I want to make mention of it. If you're a single woman, and this idea of you getting super deep theologically, this idea of um, you uh, learning and, and, and growing in your gifts and becoming a, a force for Jesus Christ, if that idea, if you, if you hear that and you're like, Zach, I don't know, man, if, if I go and get strong like that, if I get deeper theologically, I'm just nervous that young men would just be so intimidated that they wouldn't approach me. Do you really want to make yourself dumber to get a man? Like, what kind of man do you think you're going to get if you have to dumb yourself down? Look, I get it. I know that you want to be with someone, but I just want to save you from that. If you have to dumb yourself down in order to attract an even dumber man, that's not going to go well. Raise the bar and men will enter, will, will, will come to it. And if men don't come to it, you don't want those men to begin with. They need to go home and, and, and turn off the Xbox and go to maturity school and try and figure out what it means to be a man. They don't need to be dating you or, or courting you or coming after you. Here's what I don't desire here at the Grove. I don't want the pat your head, bless your heart, be quiet, ask when you get home kind of women. 
I want you women to grow in the knowledge of the word of God, to strengthen your mind as much as possible, not being satisfied with emotive devotionals who, who talk about, you know, you're the daughter of the king, and they talk about you as the daughter way more than they talk about the king, the king of glory. I want you to get deep. I want you to grow. I want you to get in the deep end of the pool and get out of the kiddie pool. Grow theologically. Grow in your gifting. Exercise your gifts to make disciples for the glory of God. Be the type of woman who are, who are the iron that sharpens iron of your husband and your male friends. Ladies, I want you to thrive here at the Grove. I want you to grow. I want you to utilize your gifts. I want you to have big minds and big hearts. I, Zach Mason, pastor of the Grove Church, I'm saying to you, I'm pleading with you, we need you. We need your minds. We need your hearts. We need you to enter in and to play, to play the game. Make disciples. Maybe you're not single. Maybe you're a mom of three, four, or five and you're going, how does this work? I'm so busy. I got all these kids. Well, listen, primary discipleship, your primary responsibility for discipleship is in the home. But that has not stopped my wife from dragging our two kids and the one in her stomach across this whole planet discipling other people. Whether that's to the park, to meet with other moms, or to the library, or to Fox and the Fig, or wherever she may go, she drags those kids all over. And so it's not separating discipleship from your kids. It's entering in. I, I want our kids to see my wife. I want our kids to see me making disciples. I want them to be a part of that. I want them playing right next to us while we're having these deep conversations about Jesus. Look, I love my wife. She is incredible. She, no one, don't, it's, no one has done more to sharpen and grow me than my wife. Now, you may hear me talk about men and marriage. You may hear me talk about all these things and think, oh, well, of course, Pastor Zach, he does all these things. Uh, their, their marriage is fine. Like, no, like, man, this, we fought big this week. I'm not talking last month or last year. This week, we fought big. The temperature in the Mason house was hot. We had some flare-ups. We had to handle it in a godly way, but we had to handle it. So don't over-romanticize what I'm saying here. It's going to be hard. There's going to be mistakes. But if you would enter in and just apologize and seek forgiveness to repent and seek forgiveness, man, what would God do? What would God do? But she's, she's just brilliant. She's... Um, not just book smart or street smart, um, but she's just smart. She's not afraid of me. She'll engage me. If I'm too harsh for one of the kids, she's not afraid to enter in and say, hey, look, um, what you said was absolutely true, but the way you said it was a little harsh. Could you just downshift a little bit and, and maybe calm down a little bit um, as you talk to the kids? Like She's not afraid to enter in and, and do that. She's always with respect, always with honor, but not afraid at all in any way of me. Look, we need men and women to enter into these things. We live in the South. We live in Spruce Pine. We live in Mitchell County. We live in a place, and it's like Camelot. We all look happy from the outside, but inside our marriages are a wreck, adultery, divorce, broken homes, aggression. I'm telling you, we all look pretty, but in our homes, it's a different story. What would happen in this community if men stepped into this role and were serious about it? 
What would happen if, if women stepped into this role and flourished and grew in their giftings and used their gifts? What, what a bright light the Grove Church would be in this town if the marriages here were flourishing, if men were very, very serious about cultivating their wives so they look like what the Bible would call in Psalms a well-watered vine. What, if, what would happen in this place if women were experts in the strengths of their husbands? Not just their weak, not the weaknesses at all, but the experts in the strengths of their husbands and spoke life and encouraged their husbands so there would never be any word mentioned about their husband negatively. Not even in their own minds because they were so aware of the good that their husbands do. What kind of bright light would we be in this community? I'll tell you what would happen. We would attract all sort of busted up marriages. So they would flock to the light the God, that, in hopes that the gospel would work for them too. And look, that's what I want. I want this to be a light on a hill that everyone may gather and hear the gospel and their homes, their marriages, their lives may be healed. Now, let's be honest. Men, you're going to fail at this. The task is absolutely impossible. You're going to need grace. Women, you're going to fail at this. You have no real shot. You're going to need grace. That's why the cross is so spectacular. It's why we have to lean in and we have to have grace with one another because we know that God has grace with us and we have to um, continue to lean in, to press into to this process of human flourishing is this ongoing ethic of confession and repentance, getting up and continuing to pursue. That's the mark of Christianity. That's the mark of a man. That's the mark of a husband. It's what moves us. So look, let me, let me close with this. Maybe you're here tonight, women, and you've been speaking just death over your husband, the way you talk to him, the things you say to him. You've been using your power to belittle, to demean your husband. Maybe you need to have a, uh, an honest conversation to seek some forgiveness on the way home. I pray that, that you would be honest, that you would enter into that, and you would just say, babe, like, sometimes some, some of the ways that I talk to you just isn't fair. Um, there's times where maybe we have to talk and it's just, it's just the way that I do it is just not the right way. And I just, babe, I know Jesus is going to forgive me, but would you forgive me? I've sinned against the Lord and you. Would, would you just forgive me, please? I need you to forgive me. Some of you just have to have that conversation on the way home after lunch when you get home tonight, today. I pray that you wouldn't be afraid to enter in. You wouldn't be afraid to encourage and speak life at home. You would trust God and all the things that you want to say, all the things you wish you should say, you think you should say, and you would just encourage and, and speak life into. And then I pray that you'd enter in to discipleship and you'd make disciples and you would walk in all that God has called you to in the church and in the giftings, both at home the church and community and workplaces. Uh, we're going to sing a couple songs and then, and then I'll pray uh, afterwards. Let's pray. F Father, I just, I just come before you, Lord. I'm just so thankful for these men and women. Um, I thank you for the cross and just redemption that you've brought. Uh, you've bought us with a price that we're not our own, but we belong both body and soul to you. And Lord, I just pray that you would just be with the women here tonight, this morning, that as we go, as they go, that you would just be with them, God, that you would um, love them and be gracious to them and, and teach them what it means to be a woman, that they would go home and they'd walk in all that you called them to walk in, and they would uh, treat their husbands with honor and respect, and, but they would be bold and they would, they, would, they would be bold in their knowledge of you and their pursuit of you, God. They wouldn't just 
sit at home and wait for their husband to teach them about Jesus, but they would pursue you with all that they have. And they would find ways to exercise their giftings and abilities to bring glory and honor to you and to make disciples of all nations. God, I'm thankful for all the men here, all the women here. God, I pray that you would just bless them, um, that you would go before them, Lord, this week, that they would shine a bright light to the community this week, Lord, in the walk and all the good deeds you prepared for them in advance. I love you, God. I'm thankful for all that you do. And it's in your son Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I love you guys.